Welcome to the Mission Driven Mom podcast. This podcast is for moms just like you who want to learn how to glorify God through finding and embracing true principles, discovering and developing your greatest gifts, and using them to serve your family and community. Hey, welcome back. Thank you for joining me. My name is Audrey Rinlisbacher. I'm the author of The Mission Driven Life and founder of The Mission Driven Mom. And before we get started today, I just want to let you know we'd really love to grow our influence in helping moms to build principal and mission-centered homes. And in order to do that, we can use a little bit of your help. If you're liking these podcasts and they've been of value to you, I'm going to ask you to do a couple things that will help us grow. One is to make sure and subscribe so you don't ever miss an episode. Another one is to share it out with friends and family, a particular episode or just the whole stream of episodes, whatever you think they would enjoy. And then please write a a review. This helps others who are just finding us uh, know how much you're enjoying it and become familiar with what we're doing here and know why they ought to tune in. So today we're going to talk about something that is really dear to my heart because it's kind of was an answer to prayer when I was kind of struggling. So I'm going to take you back a few years in my life. I was born in the 70s. Yes, I'm that old. And growing up, I mean, we didn't. We didn't read much or talk much, you know, especially about politics in my home or about kind of the world at large. But what I did kind of gather was this pretty simple message that In recent years, the Bible had been taken out of schools and that the world had then proceeded to go to hell. (laughs) Basically, that was basically what I kind of thought went down. Um, What I gathered from the adults around me is that the world had been much more moral and upstanding until, you know, maybe just like a decade before I was born when Bibles and prayer got taken out of school. And now everything was really kind of going downhill fast. When I became an adult and I got turned on to, oh, I don't know, political shows and I I read things and I just became more aware, then this, this, I don't know, belief, um, historical context, I guess, was really confirmed this outlook, really confirmed that that's actually what really had happened. And and unfortunately, I was on the wrong end of that trend and uh, was kind of getting the bum end of the deal. And, you know, of course, I wasn't naive. I knew that people had always kind of been immoral and done things wrong. But the predominant message was that society standards has had been much better And everybody had always believed in God and God was taught in schools and that education was not only of a higher quality intellectually and morally, but that it upheld this belief in God and natural law and right and wrong and so on. So then, I don't know, a few years into my marriage, it's been almost 20 years now, I got turned on to liberal arts and classical education and I just kind of embarked on this journey and for a while... It was intensive and full-time, but mostly it's just been kind of a part-time endeavor of mine. And I've subsequently learned about history, especially the history of America and American education. And this um, picture 
that had kind of been painted for me by society has kind of slowly eroded. And I got introduced to things like the Humanist Manifesto that was written in the 30s, I think 1930, and men as influential as John Dewey actually signed it. And if you don't know anything about that, go look it up. It's definitely something that we learn about in the uh, academy because it's important. But um, I guess I kind of thought, even when I was introduced to those kinds of things, that, oh, that was the fringe. Like, those were the kind of the fringy people. And that was kind of where it started. And it took a while to get going. And um, the belief in God was really entrenched still at that time. Well... The more I've read, the more I've come to see that that's not really true either. <laughs> so I want to share um, some some quotes and some information with you. We're not going to do a big, long history of education or history of American education today. I think that would be a fun series to do in the future and to get into more detail. But I just want to touch on this particular concept about where were we societally and what did we really know? What did we really believe? Uh, where were we really at and what was going on in the schools that was helping or hurting that? So when I was working on my own liberal arts degree, I was introduced to the writings of John Locke and he is the one, he was the first place where I read about natural law. And it absolutely blew my mind. Like really in a very literal way, I have never been the same because I have never thought the same. Once I crossed that threshold about this idea that there isn't, that, that there is religion, right? And, and, and there's rituals and, and sacraments and all those things. That's true. And that's good. But that God is bigger than that. God is more than that. There's a natural law beyond a religious realm because it had been so shoved in there and categorized for me all my life. I didn't really get that there was something bigger and that that earlier thinkers thought about this, talked about this, uh, were big on it, and that it was a part of the framework of how people were raised and how they thought about the world. And so I have just thought completely differently since then and, and just kind of been on this crusade of, well, I am going to understand that the best I can and in all its implications and, and use it as a tool to help people come to truth because it is the foundation of being a truth seeker. So this whole world of understanding is open up to me and I find all these sources on it. And of course, since that time, I discovered many sources, but Still, probably one of the best introductory sources to the idea of natural law is mere Christianity. And I think I've probably mentioned on the podcast before, I'll probably mention it again because it's such a seminal work, but um, mere Christianity, book one, is about natural law, what it is, where it comes from, why it exists, and how we break it, and how that's the foundation, as Lewis says, of all clear thinking about ourselves, about God, and about the world. And he was right. But here's what's interesting about that book. I don't know if you know this, but it started out as a series of what were called fireside talks um, in England in 1941. So World War II is happening. Um, England has been pulled in. It's in the really in the ravages of, in a very real, tangible way, fighting off Hitler. 
uh, trying to avoid invasion. And he's asked to go on Sunday nights and give a series of talks about Christianity. And in the hope that it will buoy up people's faith and that they will have a stronger sense of what they're fighting for and why they're fighting for it. And that it will just strengthen the people, which is so cool in itself. But the other thing that's really cool about it is to know that, of course, Lewis started with natural law. That was the first lecture he gave on the radio. And that is how the book starts out. And I guess I didn't really, um, until that point, ask myself the question, why? You know, but then I started to think about, well, why, why did he start with natural law? I mean, it's clear to me now that I've read it, but why did he think the people needed to hear about natural law first? And this is what blew my mind. I happened upon this um, quote, and it's so spot on, about why C.S. Lewis started there. Some may ask why Lewis began his debut broadcast the way he did, focusing on natural law. Lewis thought the audience of his day, 1941, was so lacking in their knowledge of the Bible that they didn't believe in the assumptions the Bible made about morality. Therefore, Lewis decided he must make sure there was an understanding that right and wrong existed universally. Once this truth was established, he could deal with the issue of not living up to that standard and from where such a standard originated. Well, I don't know about you, but that was pretty mind-blowing to me that, especially because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm reading my little house and the Bible, you know, there's a Bible in every home and, and that's not, you know, that's, I don't know, 70 years before this time frame, And I'm thinking, God, well, of course, the world was very still, you know, especially in the West, we were in our Bible on a regular basis and, and we knew those stories and we taught those stories and we believed in that moral code. But no, in the, the Britain of 1941 was in Lewis's, in Lewis's uh, opinion, removed enough, even in that day from the Bible from an understanding, a fundamental understanding of how the Bible approaches an understanding of the world, that he had to begin with natural law and break down the major components of the Christian faith for his nation. So I'm thinking, okay, well, maybe that's just Britain. It's not. (laughs) And this is what is really sad and really eye-opening And fascinating to me, I I hope it's interesting to you too. I ran upon, happened upon an article, I think it it was a speech first, but it's an article form now called This Pre-War Generation by Mortimer Adler. This was written or given, or both, in 1940, okay? And I'm going to read you what Adler said about his experience. He and Robert Hutchins were actively working hard to try to maintain some kind of liberal arts program. And um, I think Hutchins was the president at that point, the University of Chicago. And so they, they put it together this class. So this is what Adler says about it. Mr. Hutchins and I discovered what that mind was like. And he's referencing what he wrote before about the minds of the professors and the educators of his day in 1940. 
when we taught a course in the philosophy of education last year, so this was in 1939. It was taken by men and women who were candidates for the PhD in education, many of whom were already in responsible teaching or administrative positions. We began with this definition, quote, education is the process whereby the powers of human nature become developed by good habits, unquote. He says, I have italicized the word good because that as usual, and it's fascinating to me that he uses the word as usual because what he's saying here is typical of these professors he's finding across the board in universities. As usual, good was the stumbling block. The class objected to the definition as normative. The science of education must be objective. So good is just the subjective term, but science is objective. Some of them said that there was nothing good or bad about education, and others shocked us even more by suggesting that education just might, uh, might just as well be a development of bad habits. The argument went on for days, requiring us to get down to fun fundamentals. In the course of it, we discovered that these professionals in education had been thoroughly indoctrinated with scientism and positivism. The mark of indoctrination was that they really couldn't defend their position. The marks of the doctrine they had swallowed were the familiar denials of the objectivity of moral standards, of the rationality of men, of any method for answering questions except that of empirical science. Can you believe that? <laughs> Holy Hannah, in 1939, when they brought together a group of individuals who were in educational leadership across the United States, this typical group of men and women already believed entirely in the empirical method as the only way for discovering truth. Now, maybe these individuals would still say that they believed in God. Maybe they would even say that they believed in the Bible, in a sense. But those weren't the paths to truth. Those weren't the ways to find truth. Science was. And the natural moral law, the law of human nature, was nowhere, you know, nowhere to be found. This is what Robert Hutchins said. As are we prepared to defend democratic principles? Of course not. He said this in 1940. I'll say it again. Are we prepared to defend democratic principles? Of course not. For 40 years and more, this is in 1940. So he's saying since 1900 and earlier, our intellectual leaders have been telling us they are not true. They have been telling us, in fact, that nothing is true which cannot be subject to experimental verification. In the whole realm of social thought, there can therefore be nothing but opinion. If everything is a matter of opinion, force becomes the only way of settling differences of opinion. And of course, if success is the test of rightness, right is on the side of the heavier battalions. So here we have another source saying, look, since before the turn of the century into 1900, this has been the prevailing idea in the educational systems that we have to do away with the natural moral law. We need to just not even worry about it. 
because science is the path to truth and science trumps all and morals are subjective. I, I knew from, from my education that historically the sciences were considered soft and theology was considered hard. In other words, to most thinkers until the 18 and 1900s, maybe you could throw some in the, of the 1700s in there. The idea that theology, natural law, the truths about God and about who humankind are and how we ought to treat each other and good human behavior were never going to change. They never had changed. And in fact, I go back and read Aristotle today and agree with almost all of his conclusions about decent moral behavior and the moral law. But science itself, as we talk about it today, was always changing. And frankly, it still is always changing. It definitely is a path to truth, but not the only path to truth. And yet, this idea that science was the only path to truth and that, that natural law was not on the table, I guess what surprised me the most in understanding all of this on a deeper level is simply that the discussion, knowing that the discussion ended a long time ago. <laughs> I mean, no wonder you and I can't find anything out there if we put natural law or first principles into a Google search because nobody's talking about it. You would have to be in the great books for yourself. You would have to find out what older thinkers have written about it. And you would have to, you know, harmonize it with scripture like we do in the MDM Academy in order to have that frame of reference. I'll give you another source. This is Albert Schweitzer, who was phenomenal, and I'm totally going to do a podcast on him. He says, when about the end of the century, he's talking about the end of the 1800s, when about the end of the century, men began to take a retrospective review of every field of human activity in order to determine and fix the value of their achievements, this was done with an optimism, which to me was incomprehensible. It seemed to be assumed everywhere, not only that we had made progress in inventions and knowledge, but also that in the intellectual and ethical spheres, we lived and moved at a height which we had never before reached and from which we should never decline. <laughs> Don't you feel that today? Like, we're at the top of the pile and we're never falling off. You know, we are the greatest accomplishment of all the generations before us. And we're at the top of our game and we're better than we've ever been. It's still the prevailing mindset. He goes on. My own impression was that in our mental and spiritual life, we were not only below the level of past generations, but were in many respects only living on their achievements and that not a little of this heritage was beginning to melt away in our hands. So he's writing this in the 30s, I think, talking about this same idea that these men are saying they definitely see the shift at the end of the 1800s into the 1900s. And you know, it's amazing to think about the mass destruction that went on in the 20th century incredible scientific accomplishments and unbelievable moral tragedy. And when people have a mindset that science is the only way to truth, then their technology is going to be awesome, but their morals are going to be out of control. 
And you know what the consequence of that is? That they're not going to be happy. I didn't put that quote in here, but there's some awesome stuff in, in um, Aristotle about, you know, the happiest person is the most virtuous person. It's absolutely true. So I'm, I'm reading these things and I'm studying educational history. And I don't know, those that have worked on this kind of education for themselves might relate. Um, maybe even if you haven't done that, you might relate that you kind of get to this point where there's a bit of, a bit of despair, a bit of uh, despair is kind of a strong word, but I guess just a feeling of overwhelm and like, wow. <laughs> okay. So this started 150 years ago. Here I am in, you know, 2019. And what, you know, what, what do we do now? And for me, and I, I don't know if you'll relate, I think many of you will. For me, there was an added measure of, and, and what in the world am I supposed to do about it? I'm just a mom. You know that word just, just a mom. If we didn't kind of feel small already, the world sure does a great job of making us feel small, of letting us know that if we don't have a booming career, that that mom thing doesn't mean a whole lot because you should want to have it all and you should have it all, you know? And I, I have just felt that almost like a weight, like, wow, um, I have, sometimes knowledge can feel like a bit of a burden, right? Like now I know what am I going to do about it? And, you know, I don't, I don't have a doctorate degree. I don't have, I mean, I've been plugging away at this master's degree. I'm going to graduate soon, but dang, it's been five or six years going at this snail's pace. Trying to raise these kids and, and do, do right by my family. And, and I just feel powerless. Have you ever felt that way? Like I want it. I want to do something about this. I feel like I should do something about this. And, and what can I do about it? I want to read you something that, uh, a couple, a couple quotes by, by Adler and Hutchins that started to steer me in a, in a better direction about this. Robert Hutchins said, we must believe, we must believe that man can discover truth, goodness, and right by the exercise of his reason and that he may do so even as to those problems, which in the nature of the case, science can never solve. There are some problems that science can't solve. And you know, we're desperately trying to get science to solve them. That's why they're now called the quote, social sciences. And we're doing a million experiments on the brain and on relationships and trying to use science to solve our depression and to solve our addictions. And there are some problems science can't solve. We have to solve them by the law of reason and the law of human nature and the moral code. So Robert Hutchins is saying, you know, we have to believe in spite of what's happening around us in society, we have to just know that we're on the right path and that we can discover truth and live truth. So that, that gives, that gives me a little more hope. Okay. So I can, at least for myself, I can try to discover truth and I don't have to be in my lab. I don't have to have 
a, a booming career. I don't have to quote, be somebody. I can be just a mom and I can at least start by being a mom. That's a truth seeker. And then I read this by Mortimer Adler. If the teachers of the country, and he said this right after he told the story of the professors, if the teachers of the country and more than the teachers, their higher ups are in this state of mind that there's no objective truth outside of science and that morals are subjective. He says, can we expect the present generation to be otherwise? McLeish is a man he referenced early in the article may think that those who write a country's novels are more influential than those who make its laws. I think that those who teach its youth are more immeasurably more influential than either. With that thought in my mind, I, I, I prayed a lot about what little me without a career, without professional credentials, without professional connections at my house could do about big problems that I see in the world, problems that started long before I got here and that will probably continue on after I'm gone. What can I do about it? And Adler held the key to it. And one day in prayer, as I was thinking about these ideas, I was struck like by lightning with this thought that mothers are more powerful than professors. That seems, I don't know what that seems to you. If that seems small or insignificant, if that seems untrue or overwhelming, but it is true. It is absolutely true. Mothers have more power than all the professors out there who are the thought leaders, who write the books, who teach the youth on the college campuses. They have formed and shaped what the world has become and they are continuing to do so. And who can stop them? Because, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about this, this road that we've been on. And I mean, it's been going on a long time and the train doesn't seem to be slowing down. And I just finally thought, we're not going to change education. But we can change our homes. We have complete power over ourselves and over our homes to make them principle-centered havens against the moral relativist relativity that they're surrounded with. We can make them havens where we read and learn about the mission-driven individuals that inspire us to be more and better than we are. And we can infuse our children with so much truth and so many well-reasoned arguments and make so many connections to scripture, to God, to natural consequences that they will be grounded. I've thought so often about how so many incredible women, good women with their hearts in the right places that want to do the right thing could have so many children that far, fall so far away from God. And while there's not one, only one answer to that question and people have their free choice there is something that we can do to recapture more of our children and more of this generation. 
our children, and I talk about this more extensively in the academy, are being robbed of the evidence that would buoy up their faith. And they don't have the rational arguments for truth and natural laws. And it's because this started so long ago. It has not been on the landscape for a hundred years or more. And it is up to, I, I can do this podcast and I can read the books and I am going to do everything I know to do. But ultimately, it has to be a movement. We have to do this together. You have to help. You have to join the cause. You have to be part of the community of mothers that focus their energy on putting them their own houses in order and beginning to be a positive impact on your community, using your gifts and using the truths that you've been found, that, that you've found and that, that you have come to understand that you have studied and discussed with other moms until they have become part of who you are and part of the language and the culture of your home. These ideas like the humanist manifesto and scientism and positivism and relativism, if these are ideas that are not familiar to you, you might want to think seriously about getting involved in the MDM Academy because that is where we head. In level one, it's all about getting ourselves in order and then we get our houses in order and we create principle-centered environments and then we learn what is going on in the world and we learn the right history the right way from the original sources so that we can fend off all the lies and false arguments that are being fed to us by these professors who have been marching. They've had their marching orders for so long and they've been headed down the same path for such a long time. Their agenda, their mindset, their worldview is not going to change. And so we have to be the ones that elicit the change. Those that are busy pursuing wealth and fame those that are busy trying to do it all and be it all cannot take the quiet time necessary to reframe and restructure the way that they understand and see themselves and the world. And they can't build the kinds of homes that will nurture a generation who is principle-centered and can rescue us from the relativism that's going on around us. Adler said, our greatest need is the clearest understanding of what democracy means, the most patient, rational articulation of its principles. And I do not mean that this should be a rare secret possessed by the favored few who have written books on the subject. I mean, it should belong to the masses. The school's aim must be the same as that of the church and the home, namely the development of moral virtues. You and I can start now. We can move forward. We can train our minds and our hearts, and we can train ourselves to better lead our families. We can be truth seekers who understand what principles are, who know how to find, delineate, and live them, and build strong foundations that become a bedrock of strength and courage and faith for future generations. Adler said, in 1939, he said this, to claim truth for what one is saying is not to be intolerant of others who may differ. And that word tolerant is shoved down our throats all the time. And clearly that has been going on for a lot longer than we thought it had been. For you and I to claim truth for what we're saying is not to be intolerant of others who may differ. And he goes on, for we can try to speak the truth 
with malice toward none and charity for all. But not unless we have firmness in the right as God gives us to see the right. So you and I can seek the truth. We can speak it with malice toward none and charity for all only if we have the firmness in right as God gives us to see the right. Educate yourself to build the firmness and right that you need to be the mission-driven mom you were meant to be. Thank you so much for joining me. If you don't have your own copy of The Mission-Driven Life, go to themissiondrivenmom.com and get your, your free ebook and audio book and start learning all about those laws of life mission. And please go ahead and subscribe and share this out and give us a review if this was valuable for you.